Hello, church. It is so great to see you. There is a very popular show that has emerged out of England entitled The World's Strictest Parents. It draws literally millions of viewers. This documentary is shown on the BBC over in England. It eventually makes its way in syndication to America through BBC USA and MTV and CMT and stuff like that. And it is produced by a thoughtful production company in my estimation called 2020. And they have recognized that England has let the family slip through her fingers. Did you hear what I said? They have recognized that England has let the family slip through her fingers. And as a result of that, many troubles have developed amongst the children, as you might suspect, particularly the teens. Now, it's true that not all British teenagers are in trouble, but we can be safe to say that it is at epidemic proportions. In many ways, the battle for the family was fought and lost in England. And the truth is, not very many people are even talking about it anymore. And you know the truth is, see if you agree with me, it's not really totally the children's fault. It's not totally the teen's fault. It is true that they have to take responsibility for the decisions and actions that they make, but the parents and the leaders and the participants in the community around the family must also share the load of responsibility. The producers of the show simply seek to take two British teenagers who are in a difficult situation. They have lost their way. They are struggling to find direction in their life and to place them in an intact home somewhere around the world that on one hand is loving and nurturing and on the other hand sets rules and boundaries and sticks with it so that there might be hope for the two teenagers as well as for the millions of viewers watching that they might find a new lease on life and emerge with a new sense of purpose and direction that is meaningful and productive. Well, as it turns out, Roseanne and I have been asked to be the parents to two British teenagers who arrived at our home from the Heathrow Airport just yesterday, and they are in our services today. We are, we are the world's strictest parents. I, I, see the, I see the parents in all the services, they're nudging their kids and saying, you see, if you don't settle down and behave, we're gonna send you to the Frazies. You think we're strict, they're the strictest parents in the whole world. Strict, you better get it together. And all I can say about that is that everything that Roseanne and I have learned, we have learned from Max and Dina Lynn Licato. It's also an interesting observation, the timing of this. We would call it here at Oak Hills a God thing. Months ago, we put on the calendar that this weekend would be a weekend that we would talk boldly about the family, and then not too long ago, the BBC informed us that this is the week that would work best for them. 
that the day that our teenagers would be here would be the same day that we had already scheduled to talk about what the Bible says about the importance of the family. We also want to get out pretty quickly here that Roseanne and I are not perfect parents. <laughs> we have been parents now for 26 years, and I can say with you, I need a break. I, uh, it's been a real tough journey, and we have some great kids, but parenting and discipline is a difficult assignment. As a matter of fact, studies show that the number one cause of disagreements amongst couples has to do with how to discipline a child. How to discipline a child is the number one cause for fights amongst couples. And that isn't yet even dealing with how difficult it is for children to receive the discipline and the accountability. It's not easy to be held accountable. For years now, I have a little folder, a little yellow folder that I'll throw cartoon captions or quotes that kind of catch my fancy. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was sort of thumbing through those, and I, I found uh, uh, three particular cartoon captions that are at least 30 years old that remind us that this whole difficult subject of discipline has never been easy. I'd like to share them with you. The first one is of a boy kneeling on his bed praying, and the mother walks in, and he says to her, Daddy said no to the 10-speed bike, so I'm going over his head. <laughs> or how about the second one? The second one is of a little boy talking to his mother as she's cooking dinner. He says, If I get into trouble before dinner, what will I have to go to bed without? <laughs> I love that. I want to get into trouble so desperately, but if tonight is pot roast, I'm going to hold off until tomorrow. And I love this one. Here's a boy that's been disciplined by his mother. He's standing in the corner, and his best friend's outside picketing. Free Bobby Hodgkins. Before I go any further, I would like to suggest and see if you agree with me that the United States, that the United States is facing the same challenge as England. The idea of the family, even as I speak, is slipping through our fingers. And I don't know about you, but we can't let this happen on our watch. How, sh how shameful it would be for us, for the history books to declare that the battle for the family was fought in America and lost during the era when we were in charge. So at the Oak Hills Church, we have a big vision, at least here in the city of San Antonio and wherever God calls the Oak Hills Church to be, at least for those families who are part of our family. And we believe so much about this that we have declared this the fourth place that we believe God is calling us to go in the spirit of Jesus commissioned to us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 where he commissioned us to go into all the world and to make disciples of all people. We believe the fourth place that God is calling us to go is back home. To go back home again and focus on the heart of our families. And so here's the vision that we have. Listen carefully, because it is big and it is overwhelming and will only be accomplished 
if everyone joins arm in arm together and we utterly depend upon the power of God's Spirit. We envision the presence of Christ in every Oak Hills family in San Antonio. We envision the presence of Christ in every, 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 did I say every, every Oak Hills family in San Antonio, and that includes yours. Why? Why do we care so much about restoring the family to its rightful place in our community? I have two reasons. Number one, for the sake of the members of the family. For the sake of the members who live in our homes. Some of the home environments that people have to come home to every day, whether children or even adults, are just plain unhealthy. Maybe it's your home right now. Maybe it's the home of a neighbor. I can tell you that after doing this work, even in the city of San Antonio now, for a total of 20 plus years, there are some times when I look into the heart of a home and it's so debilitating, it discourages me so much that there have been times I felt like quitting, that we have already lost. Who am I kidding? But there's an alternative. There is an alternative, and that alternative is this. If we invite Jesus back into our home, he will emit a wonderful and nurturing aroma that will provide a place for everyone who is a part of that home to grow and to be celebrated and to be nurtured. If we have families that will humble themselves and adhere to the teachings of Jesus Christ that he's already given us, we will find that these principles lived out in his strength will always build our families up because that's what Jesus is about, building us up. I have told you many times before that I grew up in an unchurched home. My mom and dad were great people, but... Jesus wasn't invited into our home. I didn't know any different until at the age of 14, I became a follower of Jesus and started hanging out in homes like Roseanne's mom and dad and other Christian families. They weren't perfect families, but they were yielded enough to God that he was invited into their home. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was drawn like a magnet to those homes. To this point today, I can walk into a home even if that home is filled with people who go to church every Sunday, even with people who claim that they know Jesus, and I can walk in and go, and I can tell if he's there or not. And I can tell you when he's there, there is no place else you want to be. But when he is not there, it takes something from you. The second reason why we want to care so much about our families is not just for the sake of those who are inside of the home, but for the sake of those who live just right outside of the home, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. We are called to be a lighthouse. You've heard the phrase, and it's totally true, even of our families. Your family may be the only Bible some people ever read. Your home, through God's strength, should be a magnet because Christ is drawing them and calling them, because whenever they get close to your place, they feel nurtured and loved and accepted for who they are. 
and they are celebrated. If you brought your Bible today, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, a New Testament book. Ephesians chapter 5. There's many places we can turn in the New Testament. This is certainly a popular one that teaches us about the family. And as you turn there, let me say that while today I'm primarily directing my talks to households that have children in them, the Oak Hills Church leadership recognizes that there are many households that don't currently have children in them. Some of you are empty nesters. Some of you are single and you live alone or you have a roommate or a handful of roommates in a house or an apartment. And we recognize that and we want to say to you that Christ wants and needs to permeate your home as well. We also recognize that, that there are many folks in our own congregation who have experienced divorce. And I haven't met one yet who woke up and said, you know what, I put this on my to-do list years ago, that this is the outcome I wanted for my marriage. And we recognize that. And while we desire for the divorce rate to go down, like all of our single parents, in my estimation, do, we also believe at Oak Hills that God accepts us where we are at and helps us to grow and, we re and rebuild our lives from the point where we start with him. So single parents in this room, please listen carefully. While I will always be a proponent that the best thing for a kid is for there to be a healthy, loving mom and a dad in the home, I also want you to know that we love our single parents and we want to come alongside of you to help you to be successful in your quest to raise your children in the Lord. And all of the church said, Amen to that. Ephesians chapter 5 teaches us about how to treat each other in the home. Toward the end of chapter 5, Paul talks about the husband and wife relationship. And I want to make an observation because it's not only true here in Ephesians 5, but anywhere you study the marriage relationship in the Bible, listen carefully. The Bible never talks about the marriage relationship in the form of rights that we should expect from our mates but always talks about the marriage relationship in the form of responsibilities that we joyfully get to execute in the power of God each day. You say, what difference does it make? It's a huge difference, and it's been one of the failures of the American marriage. You see, we start off in our country of rights and entitlement with the notion or the idea of, I am going to start with you meeting my needs. I'm going to start with you dealing with my rights in the relationship, and if you do, fill me up, I will possibly return the same thing to you. This is not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, if you do this, the day you make that decision is the day your marriage begins to slowly disintegrate because it will not work on that foundation. The Bible says that the marriage relationship is not a 50-50 proposition. It is a 100-100 proposition. And in the strength that God provides us, we have the calling each day to wake up and joyfully execute the responsibilities that the scripture gives us to love and to respect our mate in the strength that he provides. We show up each day with the joyful opportunity of giving 100% of who we are to the person that we made a commitment to, even in the face that they will not or they cannot in this season reciprocate. You only find the strength in a relationship with God to do that. But what a beautiful thing.
It may be one of the most beautiful things in all the world, as a matter of fact, when there is a marriage where both the husband and the wife are totally sold out to God to find strength and wake up with the unbelievable joy they get to serve up the responsibilities that God has given them in his word. So much so, I want to give you a piece of information. I don't know if you know this or not, but studies show us that the greatest single gift that you can give to your children is giving them a brand new car on their 16th birthday. Oh no, I'm sorry, I didn't read the notes right. The single greatest thing that you can give to your children, and now I'm being serious. Listen to this. You may have not read this, but it's true. The single greatest gift you can give to your children is to demonstrate to them that you and your mate are unashamedly and undeniably in love with each other. Even so much so that from time to time, they need to catch you making out. And they'll go, ew, get a room. And you'll say, these are all our rooms. Why don't you go somewhere? Please move on. It's time for me to smooch with your mom. And you know something? They'll go, ooh, that creeps me out. But in their soul, you will have given them a gift that only you can give them. It is a gift that says that they are secure in the leaders of their life. It is a gift that gives them hope that maybe they can have a relationship like this too. You see, in the Christian life, most things are caught, not taught. Max and I can rant and rave about how important the marriage relationship all day long is, but basically in the peripheral vision, they're turning and watching you. And that's where they're getting their biggest lesson. Paul then turns the attention in chapter 6 of Ephesians to a children's relationship with parents. He writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What does that mean? Well, let me put it in modern day lingo. Children, if you want to see your 18th birthday, you might want to obey your parents. Or as Bill Cosby used to say, I brought you into the world, I can take you out. That is not what this verse means. It's pretty obvious what it means. It means that when children follow the advice of loving parents who guide them in their wisdom and maturity, that child most naturally and supernaturally leads a richer and more productive and even a longer life. That's the promise of God. Then Paul turns his attention quickly in chapter 6 and verse 4 to a parent's relationship with the child, responsibilities, particularly the role of a father. He writes, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. What Paul's saying here is that there's two ways to parent. There's the right way, and then there's the wrong way. In the wrong way, he says that you should not exasperate your children. What does that mean? It means you do not ride them 
all the time. You don't discipline them to enhance your personal conveniences or selfishness. And by the way, they know when you're doing that. You don't nitpick at them at everything that you see. You don't wear them down. You don't humiliate them in front of other people. You don't crush their spirits. You don't always say no, even before the question is asked. You're not unreasonable. You didn't make your bed today? Okay, that's it. You can't go out of this house for three years. <laughs> Eating is optional. But instead, we're given an alternative, the right way. He says that as fathers... And as mothers, it is our duty to train up our children in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that you are to run point on teaching your children God's principles for living. And it means you do it out of a motive for love and of love. It means that you set boundaries and you have the strength in God to hold to those boundaries, to stare them down until they break. You don't give in. You say yes as much as possible. You're known as a person who mostly says yes so that when you have to say no, you have some credibility and you stick with the no. So you say yes a lot. And I think maybe as important as anything, you model a humble and a contrite heart. You model for your children what it is like to humbly ask for forgiveness. If you have done something wrong or inappropriate, you humble yourself before your children and you say to them, I am so sorry. No buts. Will you forgive me? If you're a parent, and you cannot ever remember a time when you humbled yourself before your small children or your adult children. You don't remember a time. You are one of two people. You're either Jesus himself, not likely, or you're a person who has some growing to do as a parent. So in a nutshell, you are not going after being the world's strictest parent. For one, Roseanne and I already hold that title. <laughs> what you're going after is being an involved, a loving, a wise, and a Christ-centered parent. And we want to desperately come alongside of you and help you in the journey. Each one of you received this bulletin when you came in. I'm going to ask you to take it out as we have in the previous weeks. If you haven't been here, we've been designing for ourselves personal go plans as we lead into this uh, ministry season. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to take this last flap that is perforated and tear it on the count of three with me. Ready? Everyone get your program. One, two, three. Here we go. Now I want you to do is I want you to take out a pen or a pencil and if you didn't bring uh, a pen or a pencil, just raise your hand and our ushers will come by and provide one for you. And as they're providing that for you, uh, those of you who have a pen, just begin to fill out this top information, name and birth date and all that. And I'd like to offer up to you uh, several ways in which you can get after being this kind of a family 
and ways in which we can come alongside and help you. So as I go through these experiences, these opportunities, ask yourself, is this something that our family would like to commit to? And if you'll check that and turn this in at the end of the service, we would love to come alongside of you and to help you and to train you and to, and to make uh, the journey easier for you. The first one has to do with creating a sense of belonging. We're going after one thing here. We believe that one of the most powerful and profound ways to create a sense of belonging is for us to return to the table again, to return to this old-fashioned ideas of doing dinners as a family. The scriptures not only teaches us from beginning to end, but studies are now showing us that if you wanted to do one single activity as a parent that might reduce the risk of your children getting involved in drugs and alcohol, smoking, addictions, premarital sex, the number one thing you can do is to bring your family around a wholesome dinner and the conversation that goes with it at least five days a week. Because when they know they have a seat at your table, they won't search for that belonging in all of the wrong places. Now, if dinner's not a possibility for your family, scratch out dinner and put breakfast. If breakfast is not a possibility, scratch out dinner and put brunch. If brunch is not a possibility, scratch out dinner and put lunch. If lunch is not a possibility, scratch it all out and say, get a life. Get a life. And check that. And if you do, we'll come alongside of you and follow up with you, even for those of you who don't like to cook. Yeah, I heard a lot of amens. Most of the amens I've heard so far. Number two, opportunities for you to grow as a family. Two really big ones. First of all, experience the Orange Family Study. As a church, this fall, we are beginning a new journey that I, I'm so excited about. What it does is it takes the red love of the family and the yellow light of the church and combines them together in a strategy that creates what we call the Orange Curriculum. It is a curriculum that comes alongside of you, the parent, and invites you in simple, accessible ways, curriculum that we give to you, to sit down with your children in doable ways before you come to the church building and to run point on the spiritual development of your children. A total of 252 biblical principles, if you stay with it, will be embedded to your children, on your children, under your watch. And then when you come to the church building on Sunday, we will reinforce it by teaching the exact same thing. If that's something that you're interested in, from birth all the way up through high school, check that, and we'd love to follow up with you on how we can come alongside and get that going. If you're even just interested, check it. Number two, encourage your family through the Roman study. Now, the Roman study, as you might know, if not, it's pretty exciting. September 11th and 12th, we're beginning a chapter-by-chapter -chapter study through the New Testament book of Romans. It is a book that's going to lay the foundation of the basics for everyone who's a part of this church, beginning with people who don't even believe in God, moving all the way to uh, those who believe in God discovering their new purpose. It's going to be a phenomenal study, and we're encouraging, as we did last week, for neighborhood Bible studies to emerge all over the city of San Antonio studying the book of Romans, and we're going to provide some materials and some video and all that. It's also a good opportunity for your family. If you're interested in that, check it, and we'll get you some more information. And then finally, and simply, we want to encourage you to serve together as a family because the Christian life is more caught than taught. And here's some ideas that you can intentionally say, we're going to try to do this as a family. Number one, serve the members of your family. Just begin by saying, you know what? We're going to be more intentional and more thoughtful about sacrificially serving each other. 
Number two, serve your neighbors together. Look for ways together as a family that you can encourage the single mom or the single dad or the elderly couple or just a person in your neighborhood is a little discouraged about life and needs a plate of cookies and a warm cup of milk and a word of encouragement. You can do that together. Number three, serve together in your area community. You may not know about this if you've missed the last couple weeks, but we're starting these area communities all over San Antonio. And these communities are going to initiate ways to deposit unbelievable compassion in the community that you live if you join your area community. Compassion to the poor, the broken, the bruised, and the abandoned right around you, as well as even overseas. And we're designing experiences, even as we speak, to be conducive for your whole family to experience for you to disciple your children in what it means to be a Christ follower. And finally, serve together at the campus on the weekend. Whatever campus you attend, like the Crown Ridge campus, we're designing opportunities for your whole family to sign up to be greeters, to work in Bible land, to serve communion. What a beautiful sight when Max and I are sitting there and a kid on one hand gives us the bread and on the other hand, it's the dad taking it and passing it to the next row. A beautiful experience of a family serving together. We're going to give you a few moments to fill out this card because we're going to ask for you to turn them in uh, at the end of the service. But before I do, um, I would like, if you're okay with it, I'd like to introduce you to the two new kids in my home, uh, if you'd like to meet them. Would you like to meet my new kids? All right. Let's give a warm Oak Hills welcome uh, to uh, our new teenagers living in our home. Last time, you can do it. <laughs> Good you, you need to know, you can be seated, you need to know a couple of things. Number one, they just arrived yesterday. They're experiencing jet lag, and, uh, and uh, they're experiencing this. And I want you to know, Sevda and Andrew, that Hi, I am. Everybody. <laughs> I am really proud of you guys. They are real troopers, and we're going to have a lot of fun together. I want to ask you one question, and that is this: um, What's the sort of biggest surprise so far in your your visit to San Antonio? The rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's really hot over here as well. In London, it's raining a lot. In the middle of August, you wouldn't think it's summer over there. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you yeah. want to say? Yeah. Okay, good. All right, let's pass Bye, it. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Andrew, how about you? Um, yeah, I agree with Sevda on the whole rule thing. You know, no smoking and drinking. It's quite a challenge when you've been spending <laughs> summer like I have. You know, it's this Big surprise. Yeah, it's like one of the longest periods I've spent sober, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm only like 17, but um, I know I think the biggest surprise was that just then it's like 2,000 people in yeah. here and like you don't even know us and you're all clapping like and it's genuine you know it's not like forced or anything just... I'm going to give you a chance to give them one more round of applause for the new two kids in our home and I'm going to ask you to pray for them let's give them a hand thanks guys